you so much for joining us today on the King's Crowd Startup Investor Podcast. Today, we're joined by a really interesting uh, individual and company that we're going to be talking about. Uh, Alex Ochar is the lead investor and director of the board of a company called Novalent. And I'll let him tell you more about what Novalent actually is. This is a really interesting private equity-backed company that is currently raising capital on Republic. Um, and they just have a really unique story that I'm excited to be able to tell you all about. So with that, we'd love to hand it over. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. No, thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So Alex, first off, would love for you to just tell folks a little bit about yourself and your firm. Um, and then if you can, you know, just give us a little bit more sense of what led to you being the lead investor in this company, Novaland. Yeah, no, absolutely, Chris. Um, so personally, I spent the last a decade or so in private equity at a firm called Pacific Equity Partners. We're the largest Australian private equity firm. We manage around $7 billion, uh, under management. And I sort of work in the, our US operations where we invest sort of in various opportunities. Uh, and prior to that was a banker at Morgan Stanley and a consultant at the Boston Consulting Group. Um, the so we uh, other than the core sort of buyout strategies that Pacific Equity Partners pursues, we as individuals also look for earlier stage opportunities that we invest through a quasi family office where the founders of PEP as well as other individuals that are closely connected can often sort of pool and invest together in exciting earlier stage opportunities that Pacific Equity Partners as a firm doesn't invest in themselves given. You know, our mandates for control buyouts for very large, relatively stable sort of businesses. Within that sort of framework, there's sort of two things that we look for in our investment thesis, which is one, something that has a very tangible um, moat or barriers to entry, something that gives the business very real protection from competition. And then two, some sort of a dramatic ability to disrupt whatever the status quo is. So its promise has to be that if things go well, this becomes something that's, you know, 10 to 20 times bigger than what it is today. And something that fundamentally changes, uh, you know, something that has a specific need. And frankly, we've struggled to find opportunities like that because it's rare that you have both. You can sometimes have one or the other, but sort of really both Novolent fit that sort of to a T. Where Novalent, um, which I'll sort of go, go into a little bit, is a, um, a, a incredibly protected um, platform where basically the technology has had 20 years of research behind it. It's heavily patented and very difficult to replicate where the business owns all of its manufacturing facilities and everything sort of around its, the, the production of the tech. And then what's most exciting is its potential for disrupting how we approach effectively hygiene and um, disinfection, especially obviously quite relevant at the time that we live in today. And that's probably a good segment to what actually Novalence is. And in short, the way we, um, the way we fight bacteria uh, and germs and surfaces is through disinfection. We spray or apply some sort of a liquid that basically instantly kills bacteria and germs and viruses um, and we've done that for over 
200 years. And it's actually exceptionally effective. So disinfection is excellent and it kills bacteria and, and viruses on the spot. However, it only lasts for a second or two because once a surface is being disinfected, it is completely defenseless within seconds of that disinfection, which leads to the obvious question that you're at a, a uh, whether you're in a healthcare setting or a more casual restaurant setting, whenever something's disinfected, it gets recontaminated exceptionally quickly. I.e., if you are at a restaurant and someone's disinfected your knife and fork, if someone walks through that restaurant that has, you know, airborne particles that have COVID on them, that will land on that fork or that table and instantly recontaminate it, making the prior disinfection somewhat, you know, irrelevant. And, the, and what Novalent does, which is completely unique, is it provides long-lasting protection on, uh, on surfaces and um, uh, in other settings, which basically means through one application, you can get up to 90 days protection because the Novalent tech continuously kills bacteria and germs that come in contact with that surface. And, if we, and for us, that's such a fundamental disruption of how we approach hygiene because that means every time we disinfect or clean anything in 10 years that should have a novalent like technology that provides that long-lasting protection and that's what really attracted us to the business and why we're so excited to be on this journey that is really really cool um tell me a little bit about where this novalent technology was developed out of yeah, absolutely. Um, so it started out in um, Dow uh, Corning, which was the chemical division of Dow, you know, sort of a, you know, exceptionally large US, very celebrated company where there was an excessively, a very large research department working on developing something like this because its value was very evident. But this is a very complex part of chemistry, something that, you know, took something like 30 to 40 years before they actually managed to stabilize the molecule and actually have something that vaguely resembled what Novalent has today. However, given the amount of money that Dow spent on this, um, in the early 90s, they said, this has just been a heavy project. We hear that it's close. We're going to shut it off. The scientists that were involved at the time said, we are very close to having this molecule work exactly as advertised. We want to continue the search. We're going to buy this from Dow. And they bought it for peanuts just because it was basically being closed down. And these scientists continued working through it. And in the 90s, effectively managed to stabilize the formula, meaning it's actually ready for commercial use. Um, now, there were scientists, not business folks, which meant they weren't very good at commercializing it. And basically, in the early 2000s, um, the predecessor company, Tenovalent, was born that had the tech but couldn't quite sell it in the right way because it was very exciting, but the scientists were so deep in the chemistry they couldn't really you know, present it to an everyday user, whether it's in a commercial or a consumer setting. Um, and that company ticked along and started to get traction just through word of mouth through scientists in the late 2000s and sort of in the last few years. And we as an investor group saw that potential to basically say this is a gem in terms of the tech, but doesn't have the right sales efforts around it. It's not really being run as a company. It's being run almost as an R&D lab. And that's when we, as an investor group, bought the business in 2017, a substantial investment in sales and marketing. And during our ownership, sort of two important things happened. One, 
we received full US EPA approval for the claims that we can now officially make. So now in all of Novalis products, it says this will inhibit the growth of bacteria and germs and surfaces for up to 90 days. And that in itself took about a decade in terms of actually passing all the rigorous tests that were done by a whole bunch of agencies in the US. And two, we basically brought the product to market. We built relationships with leading companies that tested the tech, saw how it worked and started using it. Um, and we're sort of at an exciting inflection point where there's an increasing amount of adoption across the sphere from commercial to industrial. And we're obviously working with Republic to raise more capital to invest in that sales and marketing effort to bring as much of that tech as we can, both to the US and international markets. Well, it's really interesting to see, you know, in 2019, you did about 2.2 million in revenue. And then in 2020, you did 7.7 .7 million in revenue. And it looks like you have some pretty big customers on board, pretty big brands like, you know, Starbucks and things mm. like that. Um, so what has been kind of the, the growth strategy? How are you getting into these larger organizations and selling them on, on Novaland? Yeah, that's a great question. I think maybe at the first point that the hardest thing is the utter disbelief you get when you present this idea. Because the most typical discussion is, let's say with Pepsi, uh, which is one of our sort of lead clients and I'll dive into that in a little bit is folks just don't believe it. They say, that's just something that we haven't heard of. I've been in the disinfection game for 50 years. How does that work? So the very first point is to actually show them in, in their own facilities, let them test it and actually see the results themselves. And that's the very first step. And from that point, people then get very intrigued because they see the results, they understand you know, that it delivers what it asserts to and then sort of begins the slightly more technical aspect of figuring out how to apply it in those settings. Now that cell isn't quick because these are fundamental changes to hygiene protocols that have been around for decades. So companies rightly are cautious before adopting it. But the good news is what it delivers is such a substantial improvement relative to what is done today that companies wanna pursue and once they've completed the testing you know, this becomes ingrained in their standard operating protocols and just becomes a, you know, a, a basically recurring revenue stream, which, which is the effect of the sales cycle. Fascinating. And, and, you know, it's cool to see that you're getting into these large organizations because oftentimes that can be a very time, you know, time consuming process. And to see that you're actually making inroads there, uh, I think is a really good sign. Um, now, I, I'd like to ask, you know, you also have the B2C channel. So you kind of have two channels that you're selling through both to businesses and to consumers. As you look, you know, over the next 24 to 36 months, what is kind of the growth strategy to really scale both of those up? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I think um, certainly the plan is to pursue both and I'll cover each in turn. On the commercial or the industrial side, the benefit of that go-to-market is the sheer scale of contracts that we're in discussions with. So just to give you an example, and I'll sort of try not to name specific names, but a large poultry firm, um, sort of a top, top three in the US, has ongoing bacteria problems throughout its, its facilities. Um, and this is something that can't be solved through disinfection because you don't have the luxury of disinfecting uh, you know, chicken hens every, every few days. In practice, you actually do it every six months. And there's a phenomenal amount of bacteria and other issues that starts to appear over that period. Um, 
the sheer size of these is almost hard to fathom. So think of it effectively, the total number of these tents by value, by, um, by area is almost as large as the island of Manhattan, just because they're so large, you know, uh, given their supply, you know, all of the US with, um, with, with uh, poultry. And for us, these contracts are exciting because these are sort of 20 to $50 million revenue contracts. And naturally, they're hard. You know, it takes time and effort to get to them. But what's exciting there is you only need one of two of them to fundamentally change the trajectory of the business. And that's sort of 80% of our focus, given the amount of traction we've had and just the amount of interest that we get from firms, especially in the food safety space, to use it. And that sort of remains a, a core push for us. But then that's been slightly changed by COVID, where the application of Novalent has become a lot wide, a lot wider than it was before. So now, you know, you, you can be in discussions with firms like Starbucks that have a protocol that a worker has to clean a table every time a new customer walks in. That's exceptionally laborious and expensive if you multiply it over all the Starbucks cafes times all the customers that visit them. But imagine if there's a product on that surface that actually continuously protects against bacteria and germs, which means you now don't need that Starbucks employee to wipe it every time a new customer comes in. And that leads to just exceptional labor savings. And that's sort of the other big avenue for us that we're pursuing are the non call it the non-technical, more sort of consumer-like applications of the tech, especially in the hospitality industry. But in addition to that, we do sort of recognize there is a big consumer interest where both, you know, protecting us in the home, as well as, you know, just, um, just folks sort of using it in a more of a household setting. And that is something that we're starting to pursue. For us, that's a slightly more nuanced path as it does require a lot more marketing. Uh, and just the size of the prize, while big, does take longer to ramp up. So for us, 80% or so of our focus remains on the larger commercial industrial clients, just given the ability to get these chunky big contracts while still pushing along this, the sort of the consumer angle. Understood. Now, you know, you've gone out and you're doing a Series B. It's an accredited only round, but it's being conducted um, via the Republic Marketplace under uh, 506C. So talk to me a little bit about the decision to do, you know, a little bit of a non-traditional thing for kind of a traditional private equity fund, family office type of, of investment, um, why you've decided to go this path and, and how has it gone? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what's unique about us is we were private equity backed by individuals, you know, including Sam Zell that are very comfortable continuing to invest heavily in the business. So we actually had this, unusual scenario of us actually not needing capital and given the strong growth that we've had, all the existing investors, you know, sufficiently cashed up that sort of capital needs not an issue. So the reason we, but what the benefit that we saw in using crowdfunding is to actually spread the word in a very effective way. And this allows us to, you know, I think we've got now 500 new investors on board who are all sort of become ambassadors of Novalent because they've invested 10,000 or so and at that point, they'll tell their friends about it. They're excited about it. And it's such an effective way to spread the word rather than using what we believe is just general sort of marketing blasts. So for us, the number one effort was to actually build a base of diverse ambassadors that have a very, very strong personal incentive to promote the product through their investment. Um, so that was sort of the main reason for pursuing crowdfunding rather than just doing another round through our existing investors, which is 
unusual. I think most approach it the other way. Companies are bootstrapped. They get the crowdfunding done and then gradually move to the institutional investors. We're sort of the opposite. We started with institutional investors, but supplemented it um, sort of through that, through the crowdfunding channel. And then your next question, why Republic? Um, given the rules and sort of processes that we operate under, there was a lot of hesitancy to do crowdfunding because we were, you know, as we obviously have, you know, family offices that manage, you know, in some cases, you know, billions of dollars that need, you know, very sort of rigorous vetting of anything that we do. And for us, getting the right platform partner was critical. The one that's, you know, exceptionally um, conservative and thoughtful and professional around how they approach what's still a new space. And from all of our discussions, Republic was the clear winner, where basically they seem to turn away a lot more um, uh, sort of ventures, there's a lot more diligence around what they choose to promote. And there's also a lot more protocols in place around how investors come on board. And what we decided to do is we decided not to pursue regulation A, but rather regulation D accredited round as an additional layer of protection. So we only wanted folks that you know, met the accreditation requirements, which is very unusual. That obviously limits our universe dramatically, but that was important for us as being you know, the right corporate citizens and doing things in the most sort of protected way we can. In terms of how the race has gone, it's the largest raise in Republic, I think a factor of three. So we've raised uh, just over six and a bit million um, we're from 500 new investors, all accredited, all investing 10 to sort of 50,000 each. Uh, and it's exactly what we've hoped. And I think we're on track to be pretty heavily oversubscribed through that, through that channel, which I think is partly just given, you know, our relatively unique value proposition, but also partly just our partners at Republic being so supportive about bringing a sort of institutionally backed firm to do a crowdfunding race. I think it's terrific um, and a, a really unique way to, you know, utilize the online private markets and broaden your base of investors. All of those things can be very, very powerful. And to your point, kind of spread the word. Um, so now I kind of, you know, understand where you're headed, what you're up to. Uh, first off, we'd love to learn a little bit more about kind of use of funds in the round. Um, and then I want to talk to you about a couple of other things around the actual business models. But let's start with, you know, kind of what use of funds looks like coming up uh, with the funds from this round. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think firstly, obviously, no cash out to shareholders. It's already been reinvested in the business because we, you know, everyone's exceptionally supportive of the growth that we're on. So it's very much the fuel operations. Um, it's relatively evenly split between investing in sales and marketing. So having the right sales force to get into various large institutions and explain the value that Novalent brings, um, combined with an investment in R&D. So we constantly innovate in terms of what our product is and how it's delivered. And there's an exciting hand sanitizer line that's starting to get traction, as well as delivering products that are more, you know, in smaller packages and more suited to home uses, being sort of second pillar. And the third pillar is sort of general, GNA as we as we're growing as a business, you know, things like getting a bigger board ahead of a public listing is important. Investing more and just having more of a corporatized environment, you know, is increasingly important given the relationships that we have, uh, which is a sort of third and final use of proceeds. Understood. And then if we think a little bit about, you know, things that we're hearing in the news, right? So you, you guys are, are building a really unique product. Um, but I imagine uh, you're facing 
supply chain issues of some sort. I know nearly every industry is. Can you talk about any of the things you're experiencing there and how you're kind of managing those? Yeah, it's a good question. We So from a core perspective in terms of the actual product creation or the tech creation, we're actually pretty good, largely because we're entirely vertically integrated. So our entire manufacturing is done in-house. We own all the reactors that make the core molecule and we have pretty heavy stockpiles of all the key ingredients. So from a actually making the tech, we're actually pretty good. Like, and we don't actually, haven't really been affected by them today just because, you know, there's sufficient inventory and just, just build up. Where we really feel it is on the non-core things, like getting plastic bottles into which to put the tech in. Like to give you an example, like we've got a enormous shortage of actual containers in which we can sell our liquid or our, our tech. And getting that has proven difficult, A, because you know it's eating into our gross margins, which are around 80%. So we have room to move, but we don't want to sort of kill them. Uh, and two, actually just getting a continuity of supply, because even if we can do it through spot orders, the bit that we are nervous on is, you know, we're in discussions on a $25 million contract, like the amount of just actual packaging, you just physically need to be able to deliver it is beyond what we can get in the market, which raises an uncomfortable question of you can get the contract, but struggle to actually deliver your sort of tech of time. And what we're doing to protect ourselves is, you know, like everyone, I think, trying to build more inventory and just more protection around, you know, those sort of products, but also trying to be a little bit more creative. And is there a slightly different way to deliver our tech that doesn't, you know, doesn't need as many plastic bottles and is actually maybe done in more of a container model. But, you know, but having said all that, it's certainly an, an issue we need to navigate. It's probably less of an issue for us than others, given it's only a few ancillary issues that we're struggling. Um, but it is certainly something on the watch list. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then in terms of, you know, COVID-19, right? I, I'm curious, I, I'm sure it has, but I'm curious to hear, has it changed the conversations you're having with these bigger organizations? Do you think it's helping as a catalyst to help people adopt, you know, uh, stronger, stronger disinfectants? Um, what has been your experience? What are you hearing from the market on that front? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And it, it certainly has broadened the appeal of the tech. Previously, the core interest was from folks that had a specific bacteria or germ issue, whether it's a, in the healthcare setting or in the food safety setting. But COVID has meant it's on the minds of everyone from restaurants to, you know, to hospitality chains and so forth, who previously we've spoken to and they said, interesting tech, we don't have an issue. So we actually spoke to both, you know, the airlines and uh, various large restaurant chains. They all said, love the tech, we don't need it. We don't have a problem. But once COVID hit, that now becomes, you know, at the front of their minds. So it certainly broadened um, the appeal, which has been the positive. The negative is, interestingly, a lot of places are still closed. So there's actually, like to give you an example, we had a school care system that we've bought, um, that bought half a million dollars in orders in, in uh, April last year. And we're sort of planning a very large rollout in California that school system still isn't open. Like it's still sort of closed given COVID. So for us, that's sort of the negative aspect that until the world starts to open up more, the full potential of our tech won't be there yet. Um, so it's sort of, you know, 
overwhelmingly a positive, but it's something that's probably delayed by a year or two in terms of the actual revenue you get, because until things are back to normal, folks won't use as much of the tech as they would have otherwise. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's really interesting. Um, last question for you here as we wrap up, you know, success for you, what does that look like in the next two to three years for Novaland? Well, I think for us, um, continuing to spread the word and making sure this unique tech is well known in the market. And the way we see it is a, through a NASDAQ listing in the next 12 to 18 months, which we're sort of mid-step in executing, maybe even a little bit earlier than that if, if things go to plan. Um, and just continuing to, to grow the business. Like we think there isn't really a natural limit to how big this can be because the, the overall disinfection industry is enormous. And to us, it's why would you use something that only acts instantly when you can have something that acts you know, continuously? So for us, it's really continuing to disrupt the market and most of it want to do in the public, in the public market domain, given the marketing appeal that that provides. Outstanding. Well, listen, this has been a really fantastic, fantastic discussion. Um, you know, for those who are interested, you can go to Republic and find Novalent. If you are an accredited investor, I think it's a really unique and interesting investment opportunity. And thought it was so cool to be able to bring this story because, you know, you do hear about private equity backed companies and uh, not going non-traditional paths and raising capital online. And it's really wonderful to see your company online. Um, and it also, I think, presents a very timely and interesting investment opportunity. Uh, so thank you so much for your time today, Alex. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And congrats on all that you've accomplished with uh, Novalent to date. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thanks so much. Bye now.